whatever you're suffering with. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. There's a lot of people who've suffered. And just look back in the history of, of our peoples, the things that we've survived and come through. Equally today, whatever challenge, whatever obstacle, whatever ailment is you're struggling with, don't give up. Soldier on. There's help. There is help, and you will find your way. That's Wes Weetung. He's an Ojibwe Anishinaabe and a ceremonial leader, chief teacher, and helper. For many years, he's worked providing access to cultural resources for Indigenous people in federal prisons and in First Nations communities. He's our guest on this episode of Minobimatsuin. I'm Carol Hopkins, CEO of Thunderbird Partnership Foundation, an organization that supports First Nations across Canada in mental wellness. And today I'm hosting Minobimatsuin. Minobimatsuin means living the good life in the language of Anishinaabe. Thunderbird chose that as a name for the podcast because it captures what we all hope for, for ourselves and those we care about. This podcast aims to seek and share insight about addictions and mental health issues that many First Nations families and communities are dealing with. We're going to be fearless and have thoughtful and informative conversations with some of the leading voices in Indigenous wellness. Our aim is the same as Thunderbirds, to offer support in addressing substance use and addictions issues through a holistic approach to healing and wellness, one that is grounded in culture, Indigenous ways of knowing, a connection to community, and above all, kindness and compassion. Today, we're thrilled to have Wes Weetung on the podcast. He originates from First Nation community of Curve Lake, Ontario, and resides in the community of Mississauga Number 8. Wes has pursued a long and productive career in social work and social services and has consistently engaged in helping improve the quality of life for First Nations people. He has a strong cultural foundation. His knowledge and wisdom and practice is extensive and his most valuable skills are derived from the sacred teachings and ceremonial healing practices of the Anishinaabe Medewin. He's actively supported the Three Fires Society Medewin Lodge for over 40 years and he's currently working with Indigenous inmates at Beaver Creek Institution in Gravenhurst, Ontario. So welcome Wes. Thank you. Good to be here. Thunderbird did a survey, and and that's what I want to talk to you about today. We did a survey talking to First Nations to learn about their experience and needs related to grief and loss during the pandemic. And many were not able to practice their culture. That's what they told us in the survey. They didn't have access to culture to take care of their family and friends. And so that had a huge impact on them. And what they said they wanted to know most about was to understand grief and loss from the lens of culture. Can you share some perspective about that? I'd be glad to. Um, Actually, what you're voicing there, in a number of communities that I'm involved with, including the federal prison that I work at, that's a really important issue that so many people are contending with right now. During the pandemic, there seemed to be an increase in the number of deaths and people dying. And 
it was not all from COVID, uh, but it seemed to be uh, a common occurrence happening frequently. And right from the onset, we had people contacting us. A loved one had passed away. Everybody knew ceremonies were not happening due to the, the pandemic. And they were just at a loss at to what to do uh, ceremonially. And we did our best just kind of uh, guiding people through different things that they could do on their own and advising them and encouraging them that in the future when things cleared up from the COVID, when we were allowed to gather ceremonially, when it was safe to do so, that we would respond to their uh, their issues, their grieving, their request for ceremony in a more uh, culturally appropriate manner. But yeah, that's uh, been an ongoing issue. And even uh, actually, even just this morning, I received a call from an individual who's been grieving heavily and was looking for help and support with that. What kind of help and support is available to people now that we're able to gather in person? Yeah, so now that things are uh, getting back to somewhat of a more normal uh, environment, we are able to uh, fulfill uh, funeral rites, funeral ceremonies. Um, we're able to meet in larger groups. But just on a safety note, we are uh, encouraging people to continue to be safe. Um, sadly, during COVID, uh, there were ceremonial funerals that were conducted and safety was not really emphasized and there were outbreaks resulting from ceremonial gatherings. So even today, even though, uh, you know, there's no lockdowns, there's uh, less restrictions, there still is COVID out there, and we're always encouraging people to remain safe, uh, principally because uh, we never want people to get sick as a result of uh, seeking help by attending ceremonies. And especially with grieving, uh, the loss, the death of a loved one, you don't want to be doing risky things that would add to that. So we're able to get together. We're able to do ceremony for people who've passed away, uh, but we continue to do it as safely as we can. Um, we recently uh, conducted full burial rites, full ceremonial rites for a, a dearly beloved grandmother of our lodge who passed away. And uh, it was really a... Uh, um, a positive, even though it's grieving and it's funeral, uh, because we were able to do it, it was it had a really positive impact on the community as well. So, providing support to a family, what you found is it rippled out into the community and had a positive impact for them as well. What what is it um, when you talk about full ceremonial rites? Um, can you help our listeners understand a little bit more about that without violating your uh, <laughs> sacred protocols about 
You know, we don't want you to, you're not asking you to give instructions about a sacred funeral, but just help our, our listeners understand what is meant by funeral rites from a cultural perspective. Within our culture, within our traditions, prior to colonization, we had uh, full ceremonial practices for just about everything, everything that's a part of our lives. So, you know, rites of passage, healing ceremonies. We were really rich in that sense of having our, our spirituality was fully developed and extremely meaningful for people. So today, as we start to recover these things, and as I mentioned, uh, was a grandmother of our ceremonial lodge who passed away. So within our culture, within our ceremonies, our funeral rites span over a period of four days. And it includes different things, like uh, there's a lighting of a sacred fire. And that fire is kept burning uh, continuously throughout those four days. So that's an aspect of our, our ceremonial rites, our burial rites. The ceremonies that uh, follow over the next several days are all geared towards taking care of the deceased, uh, looking after their their spirit, preparing that person for their transition from physical world, physical reality, to their journey back to the Creator, to the spirit realm. Our ceremonies over those next four days are focused on the grieving family and the loved ones, to bring them to a place where uh, they're able to process the grief in a healthy, in a, in a balanced way. And there's different uh, ceremonies, different parts of the ceremony that help bring them to that place where their understanding, where their, their grief is, is they're allowed to express that. And of course, over the period of several days, four days, uh, everything concludes with the actual burial of the, of the loved one who died. So right from the onset of their death, throughout a period of approximately four days or so, uh, we focus on uh, providing the family with comfort, with teaching, with ceremony, uh, with understanding, and we focus on uh, the loved one who's died to prepare them for the journey that's ahead of them. That sounds beautiful, Wes. Um, and I wonder, you know, you said at one time that used to be a natural part uh, throughout our life. Um, can you talk about why that's not so much part of our life in our communities anymore? Well, historically, uh, as explorers and newcomers arrived in this part of the world. Uh, historically, there's a lot of different things that have happened that have resulted in the loss of our identity, the loss of our culture. And that has spanned over several hundred years now. But throughout that uh, incredibly traumatic period in our history, uh, fortunately and thankfully, 
Uh, there have always been people who held on to our traditions, uh, knowledge keepers who brought that uh, that component of our identity on into the future generations. So in recent decades, according to prophecies, people have begun to reclaim our identity, to reclaim the sacred bundle of life that previous generations have have left for us. And over the last several decades, there's been a really concerted effort by people to do that, to ensure that uh, the little that has remained is being gathered up, is being uh, enhanced and strengthened, and is being passed on to future generations. But previously, uh, prior to contact with people from other parts of the world, uh, indigenous peoples on Turtle Island, uh, we had a full, uh, beautiful life of culture, of ceremony, of teaching, of spirituality, athletics, recreation, governance, you name it, we were blessed with all of it. Sadly, over this period of uh, interaction and colonization, uh, through residential schools and through a whole series of things, uh, we've lost a lot of that. And that loss uh, also results in grief. So it's it's sort of all tied together, but that's how we get to where we are today. So it's not just the grief of losing someone, a loved one or a friend. You're talking about the loss of our identity and our way of way of life for indigenous people yep absolutely that's a huge issue with our people these days Uh, and even myself and people close to me uh, even though we've been active and engaged in uh, reclaiming our identity our history our cultural spiritual knowledge uh, we still contend with the 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 loss of all of that is profoundly impacting on people and even as we uh, do our best, we, we learn as much as we can, uh, it's still something that we contend with periodically, that, uh, that profound loss. We've lost so much. Our language, the, the natural language that my parents spoke, I'm still struggling to become fluent with that today. And we've lost our land base. There's so much of our identity, our culture, hunting and fishing, our relationship with the land, with the animals. Uh, You know, we've disconnected because we've lost all of that. I'm speaking in those terms because that's what's happened. But you have to sort of keep in mind, too, that people are making efforts. It's really strong efforts to reclaim all of that, to relearn all of that whether it's the tradition of sports and recreation, arts. Our people had so much. And yet today, we have to really make a a strong effort to find that and and to reclaim that, to make it ours and to, to grow it. And then we make another effort to ensure that what we've reclaimed, we're able to hand that on to future generations as well. And that's 
one way, that's a positive way of counteracting uh, that loss, all of those losses. It's also a way of uh, dealing with the grief that comes along with all of that. Thunderbird Partnership Foundation does a lot of work in the space of substance use and um, helping First Nations communities to understand the impact of drugs like methamphetamine, opioids, benzodiazepines, for example. Alcohol continues to be um, still the number one issue amongst uh, uh, First Nations people. But we know that uh, from the data that we collect from communities that people uh, who are burdened with grief and loss loss of their family, loss of their friends, are 5.7, so almost six times more likely to be using drugs in a harmful way, like opioids. And and so I think about that population and, and First Nations people um, die of overdose or drug poisoning at far greater rates than the rest of Canada. And so there's a great sense of grief and loss um, as you started off by talking about the high rate of death that we've experienced through the pandemic. So for these folks who died because of the drug use and couldn't find safe drugs to use, or there's no outlets or support for them to deal with the grief and loss that they might have experienced over and over again, is culture still available to those folks who might have died because of drug use? That's a a question that many people have, Um, this idea that culture and um, accepting our family, our relatives uh, as First Nations people, no matter what, unconditionally. Can you say anything about the connection between um, that unconditional acceptance of people who use drugs and connection to culture? I when you're talking about that, I'm reminded uh, about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but principally about just as a as an example about our our relationship with the Creator and our relationship with our Mother the Earth mm. and our relationship with understanding our worldview. The grandfathers and grandmothers who reside in the four sacred directions. But specifically in reference to our, our concept, our understanding, our relationship with our creator. And, and one of the words, one of the ways that we identify with our creator. Gije Manedu good and kind spirit. And so we keep that in mind our, as we rebuild, as we re- develop our relationship with our creator from our worldview, our perception. And we develop that and build on that to the point where in carrying that forward, that's how we relate to other people people who we encounter in our day-to-day lives, no matter what their circumstances, no matter what uh, ailments or issues they struggle with in life. And 
<clears throat> we have to get to this place where uh, we're not judgmental about how people live. And we provide them with uh, the spirituality, the healing and the comfort that is their right. That is their right. Uh, it's, it's not our place at all to deny people those things because of lifestyle choices, because of uh, suffering that they live with, that comes from generations of dysfunction, abuse, neglect. Whatever circumstances in life bring them to that place where uh, their loss of hope, their despair, brings them to seek escape through drugs, through alcohol, through whatever form of addiction that they can uh, access. Uh, it's not our place to be judging them for doing that. In fact, it's kind of a responsibility for knowledge keepers, for ceremony makers, for uh, people to be sensitive to that. Uh, many of us, I'm speaking personally, <laughs> <laughs> I lived through that. I lived through a period of addiction in my life where that was all that I lived for. That was my focus. That was every day what I was pursuing. And thankfully, uh, I was able to find a way out of and the way I found to get out of that was through culture, was through ceremony, was through uh, learning my history, through understanding the circumstances that brought me to that place where I was at that dark time in my life. But it was through ceremony. It was through uh, the guidance of knowledge keepers that I was able to lift myself out of that. Thankfully, I was able to do that. I always remember that, where I've come from, what I've experienced. And in terms of, you know, looking at others today who are, they're, they're struggling with addictions. And sadly, an incredible number of people who are dying from overdoses and things. Uh, we don't deny them uh, the spirituality, the, the healing that comes through our our uh, funeral ceremonies. That's incredible, Wes. I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard people proclaim that elders don't think that we can perform or we can give access to culture for people who are using drugs, that the two don't go together. Harm reduction, the compassion that you talked about, um, should not be available to people who use drugs. I hear that a lot from people looking in and making these statements, but you're saying that's not true. You talked about the way First Nations people understand the good and kind creator, Gajay Manado, and it flows from there, how we should think about that relationship, that no matter how you live, you have the right, you use that word, you have the right to your culture, to that compassion. That's incredible. You know, we have to take time to really consider the well-being of our people. Mm. And we suffered through centuries of extremely traumatic 
generations of horrible experiences. And yet, it doesn't really make a difference whether uh, you're an addict who dies from overdose or whether you're living a healthy, well, and balanced lifestyle. When your time comes and you die, you need to be taken care of. Your family, your loved ones need to be taken care of. And I don't, I don't think it's, it's right for us to turn our backs on people and say, make that judgment. In fact, as you mentioned in introducing me, I, I work in a federal prison. Mm-hmm. And on a daily basis, I'm working with addicts. I'm, I'm working with people who are in prison as a result of addiction. I'm working with people who have uh, committed horrible crimes and caused very serious harm to others. And yet, throughout these centuries of dysfunction, uh, people are still, no matter what their circumstance, in need of culture, spirituality, and healing. And they still you know, have that right, no matter. They, they have that right. You, you are just as an example, Anishinaabe. If you're born Anishinaabe, then you have the rights of Anishinaabe. Now, it's not just self-governance and treaty rights. Your rights include your right to spirituality, culture, and identity as well. It's an interesting question you're asking because, you know, it's not like culture is a, is a reward for good behavior. Culture isn't a reward for living a, a, a good life. It is your right. It's your right and you're entitled to it. That's amazing. I think that what you're saying and why it's amazing is because you're clarifying a very, very, very important point. And I just want to say one thing about a word that you used, addicts. Um, we try to help people understand that we don't call or we don't identify people by behavior. So Anishinaabe people who use drugs or Anishinaabe people who use alcohol, and it's causing them harm rather than naming them as addicts. So I just, that little tidbit um, for your future conversations. But what's important about what you're saying is that we have a different way of seeing the world as Indigenous people. And, and what you've been talking about and have mentioned over and over again, that we don't have the right to judge and we don't have the right to um, turn our backs on someone's spiritual needs, whether it's along their path in life, and you talked about your own journey, or whether it's at the point of uh, of their spirit journey home when the the uh, their physical life has has ended. Um, we don't have the right to deny them that kind of support or their family. Yeah, and I guess there's always going to be exceptions to that. It's a, it's a hard call. And and I'm sure that I'll just put it in terms of like harmful behaviors. I know people, elders, knowledge keepers, teachers, people, like that's not something you want to promote or encourage either. Right? 
you would never want to say, oh, you can live whatever way you want, and we're still going to take care of you. You want people to be uh, striving to live a good life. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a fine line there where you don't want to be condoning harmful behavior, but you want to also be promoting a healthy lifestyle too. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of finding ways of doing that. Just, you know, and that can be done through being non-judgmental, through being supportive, uh, reaching out to people who you know are suffering. Mm-hmm. And just trying to give that reassurance and that that guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a better way. And then, you know, including and 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 adding in things that are are known to be helpful for that too. So what are so I'm just thinking about folks uh, again who have lived with trauma never had a way to address the trauma, um, folks that have been disconnected because of, you know, maybe they've been in the child welfare system or they've been incarcerated, they haven't had that connection to culture, or there are people in First Nations communities who have not had a connection to culture. What is it that culture does for them and and the family at um the time of death. So how does a connection to culture help us um, on our spirit journey or take care of, as you were talking about, the family, the friends who are left behind, the loved ones that are left behind? How does culture help people to move through grief? I guess that happens in different ways on personal levels for people. But we do know that within our culture, we had uh, spirituality. We had uh, a ways and a means that had been passed down to us for generations and generations, for hundreds and and probably even thousands of years. And that becomes ingrained within our beings. It's not um, just something we make up. It's not something new. It's not something we're making up. It comes from a long history of ancestry. And it becomes uh, like a genetic blood memory. So in times of grief, in times of loss, in times of suffering and hardship, and we're looking for comfort, we're looking for healing, we're looking for relief, uh, we're looking to be able to come out of that darkness and that despair. And as we seek that, we we start to feel like something's missing. And what we find out is missing is what you said, a connection to our identity. And so ceremony, culture, spirituality, uh, that's how, that's what that gives people during times like when they're experiencing a funeral. And they, they decide, I'd like to have a traditional ceremonial burial for my my loved one. Uh, we, we, you know, it can be any circumstance. Maybe they weren't even practicing or it wasn't even a part of their life prior to that. But it brings them to that realization that this is something important that's been missing from my life. It was missing from my parents' life. They were denied that. And my grandparents uh, were denied that. 
but the loss of that is still fresh with us in the times that we live. And within us is a, a natural desire, a, a drive, an energy to replace that, to find that, and to make that part of our life again. And it's, it's, I wouldn't even say it's unfortunate, but even if it takes a, a funeral to awaken people to that realization, uh, even that, Although it's tragic, that's a beginning point. That's a starting point. And that gives people the opportunity to reconnect with spirit in a way that was meaningful to all of their ancestry preceding them. So it reconnects them to all of that as well. And the, even though it might be new to people as they're experiencing it, it does bring that healing. It does bring that relief. It does bring them that comfort that their loved one who's departed is looking, is being well looked after. And it gives the, the family of the loved one who died uh, a better understanding, a foundation to begin their journey upon as well. So it's that reconnection to spirit, that reconnection to identity that reconnection to their right to be Anishinaabe, to be Indigenous, that is the healing. That's what I hear you you talking about. That is the healing. That is a big part of it. And That is the healing. And then it's an individual journey from that starting point where we, we start out with an awakening, a realization, and a desire to remedy that, uh, a need to further that. And so we begin our journey on, on finding our identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you and others all know in times in our past, not so long mm-hmm. ago, our identity, right shortly after our birth, when days mm-hmm. of our birth, our sacred spiritual name is bestowed to us. Mm-hmm. And it's announced to all of creation in a ceremonial spiritual way. And that extends to our ancestry as well. Our ancestry, they know our spiritual name as well. And then from there, we build on that, our clan family that we're being born into. These are two, the name and the clan, are two basic elements that were, and not so long ago, uh, common knowledge, common practice, and an important and vital part of starting our journey in this physical world in a healthy, positive, balanced way. And so today, we have lost that. For many of us, we're well into our youth, our adult years, even our our elder years. By the time we actually receive our sacred spiritual name, uh, by the time we do the research and find out which clan family we actually belong to, which clan family uh, was my ancestry that I descend from. So in, in these in these times, it, though all of those things can be delayed, but in not so distant times, 
They were a given. They were a common practice, part of our rights to our identity. And so there's so much in terms of identity, in terms of culture, in terms of spirituality that we need to be recovering. How easy is that? It's not easy. It's not easy. And people struggle with it. And it, it's sad. It's it's sad. But And people will give up and start over again. It's a journey. It's like everything else. It's like going to university, but harder. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like seeking higher education mm. and winding up at a... Yeah. You, you just get to places where it, it becomes difficult for you. Uh, and part of the difficulty is is access to that. Mm. Uh, many communities, uh, they they don't have a, a large resource of elders, knowledge keepers. Um, it's a struggle, just the way we are, just what's happened over the years of uh, the generations of dysfunction and trauma. Uh, people really have to make an effort to do it. It's actually getting a lot easier in these times. Um, I can look Why back. Why is that? Yeah, I can Why look back 40 easier? years ago. Okay. 40 years ago, uh, just finding a sweat lodge to go to mm-hmm. was a, a challenge 40 years ago. Uh, now, in these times, uh, we've seen such a, a revitalization of that where probably most most communities within your own community you can find or you can access a sweat lodge if you need to if you want to and neighboring communities if you need to seek help outside of your own home Mm. community neighboring communities will have things like sweat lodges as well so just over the last uh, recent decades uh, we've seen a real uh, increase a real upsurge in the amount of ceremony and spirituality that people can access. So it's hopeful for folks who are beginning their journey, um, trying to reconnect, trying to address that grief they have over the loss of something missing in their life. And and when they find it, um, it can be in their own community or it can be in other communities. And I just was thinking as you were talking, Wes, um, is it all or nothing? I have to make a commitment. And if I go to a ceremony, whether it's a funeral ceremony, sweat lodge ceremony, that when I go there, that means I have to abstain from everything for the rest of my life. Am I making that kind of a decision? Or can I go there and, and in a respectful way and listen, observe and, and think about it to find some help and think about it some more? Is it, a learning journey? Is it all or nothing? Like, what are the expectations that people should have when they are trying to access culture and their life might be in disarray? Good question. And I'm sure that different ceremonial lodges, different communities will have different answers to that. Mm-hmm. But it is a personal choice that, that individuals make. I want to pursue uh, spirituality, culture, ceremony, uh, through my birthright. Along that journey, uh, different people make uh, uh, different choices. So some people choose to go into it full on and make a commitment 
and pursue that and study that and learn that and gather up as much of that knowledge as they can and go on to in time uh, they will become the elders they will become the knowledge keepers they will become that's uh, your story yeah people will choose to do that others will choose uh, less of an engaged experience where they attend ceremonies periodically uh, where they support uh, even from a distance and maybe you know in the example you're giving maybe they're not able to uh, completely break away from substances uh, and but still they'll still pursue their journey of, of reclaiming their identity and so we have a whole mixture of approaches to this but the important thing is is to well to allow for that for one thing uh, not everybody is going to be as committed to spirituality culture and ceremony as perhaps i am and not everybody is going to be as uh, uh, prepared for the experience either so it's a learning experience uh, there's a starting point and then you grow from there and we have to be able to allow for everybody to learn at their own pace to be able to uh, accept things when they're ready uh, to be able to experience things for themselves from their own perception mm. um, it, it, it's, it, it is important to experience and to learn from things. And restricting uh, people's involvement is, is going to limit that, may prevent their healing. Uh, we, we don't know a lot of times. But, you know, there are basic guidelines too. Mm -hmm. uh, you want people to understand uh, if you're coming to ceremony, uh, please do so respectfully, you know, and you can guide them. You can, uh, they can ask questions. Uh, they can explain uh, what their situation is. If someone is uh, really, really struggling with addiction, and yet they want to experience ceremony, uh, that can be done in a respectful and appropriate way. It's not one way or the you know it's one way or no way. Things have to be accommodated in this modern situation that we're in today. Thank you so much for those really important messages um, to help uh, our audience and people who are listening to this podcast and want to learn more about Indigenous wellness to clarify um, the importance of non-judgment of not enforcing or requiring or expecting people um, to come um, when they're coming to a, a funeral ceremony or um, or any other kind of ceremony that that means you're making a decision for the rest of your life that I'm going to be abstinent. Maybe I'm going to come in a respectful way today, but that doesn't mean tomorrow I'm going to do something different that we have to have, again, going back to what you said earlier, that pa compassion 
for their right to spiritual, uh, spiritual connections to their own spirituality. Those are such incredibly important messages that many First Nations people struggle with because there are so many different, uh, expectations. Um, so I, I really appreciate you talking about the right, uh, to spirit, to take care of the spirit of our loved ones who have gone on and the importance of taking care of their family and their community. Um, so incredibly important, um, when we're helping people to discover or to think about ways to take care of their grief and loss other than harmful ways. Uh, we know that often when people can't get access to culture, can't get access to connections, they turn uh, to substance use, um, or other harmful behaviors. Um, I, I wonder though, um, are, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, is it, you know, possible to work with, um, other professions and culture at the same time? Can they work in, in collaboration or what are your thoughts on that? I think, uh, we're living in extremely challenging times. I really believe that our, our ancestry, uh, those who have gone on before us, they really truly did everything they could for us in our time. Uh, everything they could in terms of ensuring that our culture, our history, our ceremony, our identity, would survive into our times so we can access that and we can connect with that. But the challenging times we're living in now and the things that resulted in the trauma and the loss and the grief that our people have experienced have removed us from our culture, have erased that from us. And so as we're beginning to reconnect with that, we also have to recognize that there are other things that are helpful as well. Uh, professional therapy. You know, not, not everybody is, is positioned ready to approach an elder uh, regarding their mental health issues that they might be contending with. And, and maybe all they can access is a, is a professional therapist or, or some other service. And so people have to be, <clears throat> Uh, sensitive and aware of that, that the challenging times we're living in, whatever helps, whatever we can access, whatever can get us through this particular day, that particular struggle, uh, that moment of despair, uh, what we can access to, to help us through those times, uh, those are all good things. Uh, ceremony, spirituality, culture is not the only answer. Uh, we know it to be an extremely effective means of restoring health and wellness and balance on all levels, spiritual, mental, physical, emotional. But we also know and we understand, we respect and we appreciate that there's other things that people need to be accessing as well. Uh, very challenging times that we're living in. And there's, you know, I don't want to, Maybe, maybe there is no one answer. Maybe I can say that. Mm. But there are many other answers as well. There are other services that people can access. Uh, lots of our uh, 
uh, treatment centers these days have incorporated or have now based their treatment model on ceremony. But prior to that, uh, a lot of treatment centers, and still today, were modeled on what might be 12-step program, mm-hmm. an AA approach to mm-hmm. to alcohol. And, and during those times, and you know, myself and others have lived through those times, uh, those treatment centers that were based on a 12-step approach were effective and were got and did get results. Mm. Same thing applies today. It's not like we're saying, uh, no, just go to ceremonial route. Uh, what you can access, what you're comfortable with, where you are in life, what you're ready for. Like I said, a lot of people aren't positioned where they can easily or effectively access an elder who can help them with mental health issues, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So there are other services that people can utilize. And, we, uh, you know, I encourage that. I encourage that. Uh, you know, very challenging times. And what, whatever you can access to help you, try it. Go for mm-hmm. it. Experience it. You can always come to, to try something else, too. Mm-hmm. But It doesn't have to be one way. There's no. many ways. There's many paths to healing and wellness. Yeah. And again, you're consistent in implying that value of being non-judgmental, always encouraging people to have compassion and be supportive. And just like in addition to that too, just want to give that a message of encouragement to people, whatever you're suffering with. Uh, don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. There's a lot of people who've suffered. And just look back in the history of of our peoples. The things that we've survived and come through. And, you know, equally today, whatever challenge, whatever obstacle, whatever ailment is you're struggling with, don't give up. Soldier on. There's help. There is help. And you will find your way. Miigwech. Thank you so much for those important messages, Wes. Thank you for participating in the Minobamatsuin podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Miigwech. So we want to give a huge chimigwech. Thank you to Wes Tung for coming on the podcast today. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Minobamatsuin. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps people to find these interviews. And please hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. For more information on the work of Thunderbird Partnership Foundation, please visit the website at thunderbirdpf.org. Be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for us at Thunderbird PF. Miigwech, thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Carol Hopkins.